Again, we're going to read in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to begin where most, uh, most of the time it seems like preachers leave off. So we're going to begin in verse 11 and read down to verse 22 of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2 beginning in verse 11. Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus... Ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth up, excuse me, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. That'll conclude our reading this morning, and apologize for the mistakes we may have made in the reading. Um, But... The title of our message based upon the reading today is The Power of the Cross. The Power of the Cross. I'm sure yesterday, um, many of you, I wasn't able to that much, but um, were able to catch some of the memorials of uh, what happened 20 years ago yesterday. And certainly if you're of any age above probably, I don't know, 26 or 27 years old, um, you probably remember where you were at, what you were doing, and various stories and visuals that you saw that day 20 years and now one day ago. Um, As has been said many times, um, you probably don't remember what you did the day after, but you well remember the unity the day after. That pictures and videos began to emerge, stories began to emerge of a nation that is, was broken and taken to its knees. And if I remember correctly, I didn't check to see, but if I remember correctly, I think our Congress on one day, uh, or a few days following the attacks, stood on the steps of, of um, somewhere, and I can't remember where exactly, but I think they sang God Bless America, uh, which seems just almost unthinkable today. Um, 
Today, we live in a time of incredible division. It's just, we get divided about everything. Um, If I say the carpet's green, we'll find a way to get divided about it. Um, The Bible teaches us that a nation, uh, as our 16th president in a time of great division, gave a speech that was entitled, A House Divided Cannot Stand. He got that right from the Bible. The Bible says in the Old Testament that two cannot walk together except they be agreed. Perhaps today our nation stands in greater turmoil now than we did 20 years ago because the turmoil we now face is not from the outside, but it's from within. And that the implications of which our nation divided has trickled down. And now it's nothing for after people have come back to football stadiums and sporting events. Maybe it's just what I happen to catch or maybe because everybody has a phone in their hand now more so than before, but Now you see people fighting in the stands and videos go viral of these different fights that take place after just now having come back from COVID. And now if we're not divided by race or gender, we're divided by who's vaccinated and who's not. I hope you recognize the source of all of this division. Regardless of what your stances are, regardless of whether you're the biggest bigot in the, in the history of the world. Don't you recognize that all of these, this brokenness and division, its origin is of our own sin and of the father of lies. It's trickled down to those sort of cultural um, settings like sporting events Yesterday, we uh, had our our older boys' baseball games, and it's incredible that we remark about how um, calm that our team's parents are, like that we notice that, that there's nobody that's screaming and mad because the norm has become quite the opposite. You see... Husbands and wives, um, at least from my vantage point, maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like there's a growing sense of discord or aggravation just in the pictures of husband and wife and how they're pictured and how it's always one versus the other and I'm pulling for mine and you're pulling for yours and this tug of war, siblings, Bad things happen in a family and siblings get divided. It's nothing, I feel like now, to hear about children that are estranged from their families and have been for some time. So much division. Did you know that there is a cure for that? 
Now, I, you know, I, I always hesitate, I, I often hesitate, um, because words have meanings. And if you repeat them enough, they lose their meaning to people. And so, you know, you get on social media or you, you're here on the news or you hear in a church setting certain phrases and it's like we're conditioned to just say, oh, yeah, okay, I, I agree with that. And then we don't process it and think about it and really consider the depth of its truth. And so this morning, as we look to the word of the Lord, I want you to recognize that all of the division and strife that we face, there is a way that we can find healing and unity in that. And as our nation is at a fever pitch for all the politics and for all the economy and now for all the medical care and for all these things, we're at this fever pitch where it just seems as though everybody is yelling and nobody is hearing anything. Do you recognize this morning that in all of those avenues, ultimately, we will never find peace and unity? So before you hit your bandwagon on the next cultural trend, before you listen to two opposing ideas and how they pit against each other. And before you say, you know, I'm going to join the red team or the blue team or the vaccinated team or the unvaccinated team or the mandated and the non-mandated and all of these different things, before you hitch to those things, know right away that perhaps the unity and the peace that you're searching for will never ultimately be found on either side. Not saying it's not good to advocate. Not saying it's good, not good to be engaged and educated. I'm not going to a polar extreme this morning, but what I'm saying is this if you're looking for a balm to heal, it is not in those things. It can alone be found in the power of the cross. That's it. And what so bothers my heart often is when I see Christian people busy about everything and trying to heal everybody and everything and reconcile everything using the wrong medicine, advocating the wrong cause. Because in truth, we will never find it outside of what we read this morning. But genuinely, the message of, of this church and the message of the church down through the ages has been in this life, disunity and division will always exist and hatred and bigotry. And we ought not to condone those things, but we ought not to seek to eradicate it by natural means. What we ought to do is preach the message of peace that can only be brought by God alone. Because you recognize all of these things that we advocate are at their core humans intervening. It's okay, we'll make a compromise in politics. 
It's okay, I'll let you win and I'll go get the shot in the arm. It's all these natural remedies. But perhaps the reason why we're searching for natural remedies is because we think that the problem is natural. And it's not. Because even if we thwart whatever problem is in our way and we're able by God's grace to get unity in just one little area, don't you recognize that in this natural fallen world, something of equal or greater magnitude will beset us and we'll be back to square one? But what God offers is a cure. It's not something that is transitive. It's not something that is external, but it is something that is internal and eternal. Because what he does is he transforms us from the inside outward. And the Bible teaches us that then we function with an entirely new nature. And that's some of which what Paul is talking about here. Listen, this morning, I just wish, I, 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 I pray, I, whatever word you want to use, I wish that people would see that this is not just an idea, it's a reality. What I'm going to bring before you this morning are ideas. But these ideas are reflections of a truth that is lived out. And can be experienced and felt and known within. And why people hate religion and why people hate religious messages and religious people is so often because we conceptualize these things as ideas alone. But they're more than that. They're meant to be felt and known and understood and lived out in our lives every day. And when that happens you'll begin to see change. Here, we're going to look at some scriptures this morning. And oftentimes you'll hear older people say, you know, they'll appeal to different times and places and perhaps historians reflect back and, and they'll look at the time that we're living in now and say, we're in a time of such great division. I've never seen this much division as what you see right now. And it's lasted, and they'll document it perhaps, and they'll say, I think this is the origin of it, or that's the origin of it, or here was the cause of it, or here are all the variables that contributed to it. But I want you to know this morning that we're reading through what Paul is identifying is a type of division that far outlasted and was much deeper than any division we are currently experiencing right now, which is somewhat hard to believe. Right? It feels hard to believe that this is the most division I've ever seen in our nation myself. And I'm sure for many of you, you may testify to that same sentiment. And yet what Paul begins to describe is a group of people who, listen to me, for thousands of years, their laws, their governments, everything about the makeup of their people was designed to be separate from one another. We can look back in our history and we can identify certain wars that we have faced and certain enemies that we have faced and we can say, you know, during this war, England was our enemy and then we go to the next war and we find a different enemy and a different enemy and then we find ourselves to be an enemy. But listen, the wars that these people faced, whom he is talking to, over and over and over for thousands of years, they were fighting one another. 
And what the end of what Paul is going to get at, and I hope to cover it this morning, is at the end of chapter two, he identifies something that is so radical to think about, it's hard to believe. He uses the term ye or you, and he's saying, but now you are all fitly framed together in God's church. So think about this. He begins by saying, and we'll cover the specifics of it in a minute. You all were, the chasm that was between these two sides was so great, it was unthinkably so that lasted thousands of years. But now, in Christ Jesus, because of the power of the cross, you all have been brought together as one new man, and you're new, and you're together, and Christ is building you up as a habitation for his dwelling place. So how do we get from perhaps the greatest division the world has ever seen to the greatest unity the world has ever seen? What's the means by which we reached this peace? And Paul identifies it loud and clear. It is only through the power of the cross. The Bible tells us in the book of Psalms, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I'm afraid today that millions of people in our nation are laboring vigorously, are laboring intelligently, but they're laboring in vain because the unity we find is not in an idea, it's in the reality of a person. And knowing that person and feeling the effects of the touch of that person. And so if we cut that person out and we try everything else to get unified, guess what? It's not going to happen. Let's look at our text this morning because it begins to identify and tell us in verse 12 and verse 14. We can even back up into verse 11. I'll back up there and, and read where we started this morning. Paul is just coming off this beautiful scripture where he tells us that we have been saved by God's grace, that it is not of ourselves, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. And then he tells us in verse 10 that we've been created to do good works. But then he kind of shifts gear a little bit and he goes into verse 11. He says this, Wherefore remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Notice what he does here. He starts in verse 11 and he first says this, Those of one side, the Jewish people, they labeled you. You are the uncircumcision. You are unclean. And that sounds so much to what happens today. I could not help but notice all the parallels to all the name calling, all the the, the things that are spoken and and the attitudes that are given to certain groups of people and to certain... Just certain groups of people, I could not help but notice that he begins this by saying, at one time, you were called the unclean and the uncircumcised. He later says, the Gentiles are the heathen people. And then he begins to identify some realities about that. Verse 12, listen to how emphatic he becomes about how those people were. He says, you were without Christ. You were aliens. You were strangers. You had no hope. And you were without God in the world. I mean, think about, and he's just stating a fact. Think about how these people were. He goes into verse 14 and he tells us this. I'm going to read the second part of the verse and he says, 
that there was a middle wall of partition that was built up between these people. You know, I think over in the Middle East about Palestine and Israel, and you see very distinct division. Even so much that when they get together and they negotiate for peace, it's down to the street. Who's allowed to have this street or that street or this alleyway or that alleyway? And they've got walls everywhere dividing each other. In the Old Testament, what do we find? You you read through the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy and the book of Exodus. And what do you find other than command after command not to associate with people, not to intermarry with people, not to eat the diet of certain people, not to eat, not to wear certain cloth that other people wore. You find this encoded in the deepest part of their law. You stay completely separate from them. And these law ordinances were erected as this division. Let me sidetrack for a moment today and just point out some facts. I think a lot of social media and media is doing that for us today, aren't they? They become this wall. They're used by not well-intentioned people to create, to stir up division. And it builds this wall of division where this is my team and that is your team. And we've got to be careful entering into those places. Because they can begin to condition our minds to think in a certain way. And listen to me this morning. If you ever begin to think of a people as the enemy, Satan's got you right where he wants you. You recognize as Christians that we don't have enemies? Not in the sense that we don't want to see our enemies converted to the right way. Paul begins by telling us, that there was a great division between Jews and Gentiles, but he doesn't stop there. He says, not only was there division between a group of people, there was real division between mankind and God. Here's what he says. I'm just going to read verse um, 15. It says this, Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, For to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God and one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. So notice what he's pointing out here. He's saying, not only were you divided there, but there was an enmity. There was a reconciling that needed to take place between God and man. We read in the book of Colossians, and here's what it says. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Listen, if you're lost this morning and you've never had a time and a place where you've come to God and you've surrendered your life to him and found forgiveness in the blood of Jesus Christ, I want you to know that with your heart and your life, you are an enemy to God, that you are not reconciled to him, that you are separated from him. And from all, by all accounts, because of sin, you stand an enemy of God. And God is often painted as just a Christian Santa Claus, but no, he's not. He's not just this man that hands out gifts to everybody who is good. God is more than just this benevolent fellow that occasionally comes around and disperses gifts to people who do good and then ignores or perhaps gives bad things to people who do bad. That is not the God of the Bible. 
No, the God of the Bible is someone who has an intimate and deep relationship with people, desires that your life, that your soul would be a dwelling place or his habitation, that you would be the temple of God, that he would dwell within you, and that daily and hourly, the Bible tells us that you would bring all thoughts captive to Christ, which means that every thought and every moment of your day would be surrendered to that of Christ, that you would be in unity with him. Either Christ is in you, knowing you, unified with you, or he is not. And you are separated from him. And all the words that were spoken of those Gentile people, you're without hope and without God and without Christ in the world, that you're aliens and foreigners, that you're separated. And without the power of the cross, there's no hope. You know, I wish today, I wish today, that people would see whatever is ailing people. What people fundamentally need more than anything is to know God. Stories have been told. I could go to the Bible, I could recount historical stories, but I'm not going to do this morning. All I'm going to tell you is this. Endless stories are told of wicked men Depressed men, suicidal men and women. Every problem under the sun that you can imagine. Every struggle. Nothing is new today. That's what one of the, one of the themes of the book of Ecclesiastes in the 12 chapters over and over. The wisest man who's lived other than Jesus says there is nothing new under the sun. There is no ailment. There is no pain. There's no suffering that you or anybody you know or anybody you've ever seen will go through in this life that has not been experienced before. But I'll take it even a step farther and say that has not been addressed in the power of the cross. One of the things about the cross is Jesus is there in the Garden of Gethsemane and where I believe that the Father places upon him the sins of the world. Why was he so distressed that drops of blood began to run down on his face? Why was he so distressed that he said, I'm sorrowed even unto death? It's because every sorrow you face, every pain of the people you know, every division that is heartbreaking beyond words. I was just looking at a, a story of before I came here today of somebody that I distantly know or am acquainted with with of a young boy who has cancer and he's dying and it just breaks my heart to see the pictures and all of the anguish that that mother and that father feel. Jesus, it was placed upon him in the garden and he felt it. He felt the pain. But he bore it. He bore our griefs and he carried our sorrows. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He knew the limitations of the flesh. You know that God the Father didn't allow him to heal anybody that God the Father didn't want healed. Do you realize that? Jesus couldn't just walk around sprinkling fairy dust and pulling out of his pocket. That's not how it worked. God had a plan. Every individual that he healed that you read about in the scriptures was in the Father's plan. That's why often he would pray before he'd do miracles. Seeking God's will, seeking God's power, seeking God's help. He emptied himself, if Philippians chapter 2 tells us, of all of his divine power. And he came, the book of, of Hebrews chapter 4 and 5 tells us, just like you and I, in weakness. Why? Why did he come in all the, why didn't he say, you know what? 
it would really be nice if I could just take a little bit of my power down to earth. It'd make life a lot easier. But you want to also deprive him of understanding your pain. That's what it would deprive him of. And so he forsook it and he took upon him the utter weakness of flesh and the pain, the division that people feel that you say it's so real, it's so palpable, I can't handle the pain. Jesus took everybody's and God poured it out upon Christ there at the time of the cross. He felt it. We've gone through, I'm sure, many times you've gone through all the suffering and pain that he felt. Words could never contain, even inspired words could never contain the realities of what Christ felt bearing down upon his soul in the same sense that the anguish you feel internally can never be witnessed, can never be known. You watch somebody get hurt and they, they hurt, break their arm, they break their leg, they go through just excruciating pain. Her pain that I felt before, that I would volunteer for a broken arm ten times a day, than the pain that I feel on the inside. He felt it all. Why? Why did he feel it all? The scripture tells us that it was those things, those things that he took upon himself, separated us from him. And yet God, in his infinite knowledge and love, said, I want unity. I want reconciliation. I want peace. My, old, my, my two older sons have gotten into cars lately. I don't know why. I'm not much of a car guy. I've just never, um, I guess, paid that much attention. And they've really gotten into these real big fancy cars, and we drive around, and they'll point out these, what is that, Dad? What is that? And, you know, Emmett, at one point, he's got hooked on Lamborghinis. And uh, you all know that those are pretty expensive cars. And uh, one day he had some money in his pocket. And we passed by this fancy-looking Corvette, and he confused it for a Lamborghini. And he said, uh, he pulled it out, and he said, do you think I could afford this with that? I said, I don't think so. So he asked me for a loan. And I said, son, his problem was he didn't know the cost, right? What he didn't know is I could empty my bank account and probably couldn't afford a Lamborghini. Our appreciation dwindles for the cross or for the peace that we have with God because we don't understand the cost. The way that God reconciled us to, to himself. was through the death of his son. Go death. Death has a sting, doesn't it? Doesn't death have a sting, folks? Doesn't death hurt? I'm not talking about the people who experienced it. I'm saying those left behind. Doesn't death have a sting? Doesn't it hurt when people die? It doesn't go away just the next day or the day after or the day after that. It doesn't go away. Oh, periodically the rest of your lives you feel that, that sting 
of death. Our God in heaven gave up his son. He became a man. He got to design his son's death. Think about that. I imagine, you know, I'm sure all all you do as well, I imagine what my death is going to be like. I've told you this before. I like to imagine it like my grandmother's death. Sitting in a hospital bed. I'd prefer to be at home, but sitting in a hospital bed, her family standing all around her, and periodically we would start singing some of these beautiful songs that you heard our congregation singing. And it wasn't too long after that that she was gone. I've just always got the visual image in my mind and just thought, what a beautiful place to be, you know? Now imagine if you could plan your child's death. What would it look like? Well, certainly you would probably do some learning and you'd say, I want to make it as comfortable and peaceful and good as possible. That's not what God did. Because the cost, the cost of unity was the cross. It was the sufferings. So he knew. And all beforehand, I know I was studying the prophecies of Jesus and his birth and his life and his death. And as you go back and you begin to read in the Old Testament, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus ever met the cross, we find these prophets that God gives them insight of all the terrible things. Psalm 22 gets an all, or excuse me, Psalm 23 gets a lot of attention. But if you'll back up just one Psalm into Psalm 22, you're going to read some of the most descriptive language you'll ever hear about how Jesus Christ is going to be rejected of men, how Gentiles are going to beat him and laugh and mock at him and that he's going to be crucified long before crucifixion had ever been invented. Here in Psalm 22 we learn this detailed explanation or this detailed description of how God designed the death of his son. That he could pay for the unity that we would experience. Here in our text it tells us look at verse 13 it says this It tells us all these things, all these things that separated us. But listen to verse 13, so beautiful. Here's what it says. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Oh, you know what I love about this is he's speaking to the people he's talking to. There's so much here. I'm not going to get to this morning in the temple. There was a court of the Gentiles. There was a court of women. There was all these different divisions the Gentiles were the furthest off. Those people who were unclean, they, were, they could not get anywhere close. They were just basically out in the courtyard, completely separated. And so when the Jews would come in and when the high priest would go in and go even further into the Holy of the Holies once a year, he'd come before the ark there and he'd offer up this sacrifice uh, to God that it would, might make an atonement for the sins of the nation or perhaps in other sacrifices, a sin for individual people. And here he's talking to these Gentile people and he says, you who were sometimes afar off. He's, he's speaking about this temple sacrifice that you would have to go way out and make sacrifice. And he says, you who were separated are now able to come nigh by the blood of Christ because that we have a 
upon us, the marks of the blood of Christ. We don't have to stand outside of the Holy of Holies, but the Bible tells us that we can come boldly to the throne of grace, that we might receive help in the time of need. And so this morning, as we think about how wonderful that our God is and the the division that exists and the unity that can be brought, we know it is singularly because all of us who are saved by God's grace have the blood of Christ so that he welcomes us in where at one time we were separated and alienated, that we were predestined if we stayed in that stage to go to hell and be punished for the rest of eternity. But now we're brought nigh. Praise God that we are brought nigh by the blood of Christ. I want to make sure I make it clear. I'm not saying you're predestined to go to hell. I'm saying if you stay in that state, that's the only place for you to go. Thank God you don't have to stay in that state. But he doesn't stop there. Here's what he says. For he, who's that? Jesus, is our peace. Peace between who? What's he talking about? He's not talking about us and God. He's talking about people. He's saying he is the peace between Jews and Gentiles. Please hear me this morning in reference to our country. Please, please don't tone me out quite yet. It says this, have made both one. Who's he saying both one? He's talking about two groups of people. Or he's saying Jews and Gentiles are made one. And it's broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Do you recognize this morning that what our nation needs all these politicians who are busied about thinking that they thinking they have power, not recognizing that they don't have one ounce of power unless God gives it to them, and that He gave it to them that they might yield or wield that power for good and for His sake. What do those people need? They need the blood and the application of Jesus Christ applied to their heart. Why? Why do they need that to happen? How does the blood of Jesus bring us unified? And He continues and He tells us. He says this in verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of two, of twain, one new man, so making peace. You know what happens when a person gets saved? This is why I hate this accept Christ doctrine. This thing where you can just go up and you can pick up Jesus when you want to, or all you have to do is go get baptized and it's all taken care of. Here's the reason why I hate that, because right here it says this, you have two utter enemies, no greater enemies ever known in the world, but when Christ came and he gave his life on the cross and a person has had the blood applied to them and the blood applied to them, that not only do they get a get out of jail free card and they get a fire insurance and they don't go to hell, but much more happens to them. God reaches down and said, it is because of you and your sin that you're separated from him. So I'm going to completely transform and change you into a new man. And that man is fashioned after the only man who's ever lived that is perfect, and that is Jesus Christ. And so he comes over here to the Arab people and the Palestinian people, and those people bow on their knees, and they acknowledge that Jesus Christ really was sent to the world, and they put absolute trust and faith in him. What he does at that moment is he transformed them and imputes the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And then there's a Jew, and that Jew utterly hates those Palestinians. And God comes down, and he changes them, and he puts the same nature in them that he put in the Palestinian. And those two now can become one because of what Jesus Christ did in the cross. Take out the word Palestinian, take out the word Jew and say Democrat or Republican. Say vaccinated or unvaccinated. Say whatever you want, black or white or transgender or homosexual, whatever group of people you want to talk about. Christ has come to bring us to one. 
And here's the beauty of it. He has the power to do it. I'll get to that in just a minute because the text tells us that. It wants to make sure that we don't think, this stuff, doesn't it sound so extravagant? It sounds unbelievable. Well, he tells us here in a minute, I know it sounds extravagant, but don't make you think that I don't have the power to do it. I want to keep reading just for a moment. I want you to notice here for just a second, I want to back out of the text and say this. Go back and read verses 1 through 3 of this chapter. He tells us all these things, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that we were separated from God. He goes down to verse 11, 12, and 13. He tells us all these horrible things that we were doing. And then he says, by Jesus' power and the blood of the cross, he can eliminate all of those things. And notice, this just this jumped out at me before I walked out here. The action verbs. All the thing that Jesus does to make us one. Talked about the cost a minute ago, right? What did Jesus accomplish? What was the effect of him making us one? Verse 14, look. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished for in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to what? Make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God and one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Seven different things that said Christ, when he died upon the cross, did for us. But he doesn't stop in verse 19. He tells us this. He accomplished all of those things. You know, if I go home and my wife, she makes this really good chocolate cake and it's your birthday and she has this chocolate cake at home and she never comes and tells you that she made it for you, what good was the chocolate cake to you? None whatsoever. You know what I love about the Lord is he went and he accomplishes all those things. And as if that wasn't humbling, as if he did not have to condescend low enough to do all those things, he doesn't stop. So now what does he do? Verse 17. And came and preached peace to you that were afar off. You know now what he does with this great thing that he's accomplished? He goes all over the world. How does he go all over the world? Everywhere that you're as a Christian and you go with the message of the cross, Jesus comes with you. And his spirit, you're never alone. The Bible says in Matthew 28, it says in Romans chapter 8, he'll never leave you, never forsake you. Everywhere you go, the spirit of God goes with you and he goes and he preaches a message of peace. To those that are far off and to those that are nigh, he's this herald that goes everywhere saying, you can find peace. Where are you troubled? You can find peace. And yet, what do people do? They bury their head in the sand. And they look for all these things in the darkness, looking for peace. All these compromises, looking for peace. And yet, Christ is the herald of peace, saying, I have power over everything. I can bring peace. Rather, I have brought peace. Verse 17. And then the rest of the chapter talks about how now we, actually the rest of the book talks about this great relationship that we have accomplishing what he wants us to because of the peace that he brought. I'm going to close this morning and say this. 
the very end of this chapter, in verse 20. Turn there real quick. If you think I've said this morning just that religious folk tale that sounds so pretty in words, but it's never going to has the power to be carried out. Listen to what God says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages and without end. Amen. I love it. I just, I love that he ends. He ends this whole truth by saying, don't think I don't have the power to do this. I have more power than what you could even know to ask for. And I have it until all the ages of the world are completely finished. Amen. This morning, folks, I hope, I pray, I'll say this first. I hope that our nation finds peace. Because if we don't, don't put your head in the sand and think that we're not headed for an unrevocable, irrevocable division. Don't be blind. Don't not see what you don't want to see. But know that even that, here's my opinion. I'm, I'm going to go along this morning, and I don't feel the need. I'm, I'm going to go along this morning. I've got to say this. You know why you don't need to build your life on all this stuff? You know why if you're, a, if you're a, a workaholic, if you're obsessed with hobbies and activities, do you know why? There's many reasons why it's a bad thing, but you want to tell you one reason why it's a really bad thing? Because if the division in our nation continues and you've built your whole life around those things and that day of division finality and division comes, you know what a lot of people are going to do? They're going to have no hope. Do you know why? Because everything they built their life upon, they watched in a moment, out of their control, out of their hands, all be decimated right in front of their eyes. Just as life stopped as we know it, whenever the quarantine and COVID started, do you recognize that that is just, God can do that and so much worse just that quick? And if a nation is determined to forget God and rebel against him, guess what's going to happen? God is going to judge that nation. I don't want that to happen. And I'll, I'll mourn. I mourn now what has been lost because of our departure from God, let alone what we still have to lose. But many people who have tried to hold the world on one side and God on the other, but have given. The Bible says you can't serve two masters because you'll love the one and you'll hate the other. When that day of reckoning comes, guess what? All of these Christian people will recognize, all of these people that are non-Christian, I built my life on the sand and now it's all gone. It's all gone. And what they'll lament is not the dollar figure in their account. What they'll lament is years and all the trade-offs they made to get that. And now it's gone. And they'll look back at a life wasted. You know what I love about this text? You know what I love about the Word of God? You know what I love about Christians who devote themselves fully to the work of Christ.
and spreading the message of the cross is this peace will never be broken. Never be broken. It is a endless, for all ages, the peace that I have with Christ is forever. This morning, I pray, I pray if you don't know the Lord, that you'll come to know Him. We talk of peace as a feeling. Peace is a feeling, but it's also a reality we experience with other people or with God. Make peace with God. You go and you have a division between you and your spouse. You know what you need? To be more like Christ. You know why? Because when you're more like Christ, that division, and at the root of it, the sin, that sin is lost. No division anymore. I pray you'll see, and God will show you that he'll show me he has the power to unify us today. And that the only power that will succeed in all of these things is the power of the message of the cross. That's our, our message today. I pray, I pray, appreciate your forbearance and my length today. Um, I'm just so heartbroken at the sin and the division that's in our world today. And all the cures that are preached from the mountaintops by even Christian people. And all the hopelessness when those cures fail. And what people need is Christ and the power that he brings.